Hey, this is Eric Garcia, head brewer at Eagle Rock Brewery. Uh, <laughs> Putting you on the spot again. That's that's what you can put. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Schmidt Beer, the brew that grew to be best in the Great Northwest. Your finest craft beer, Rocky. Man to man, smoke Roy Tan. everyone and welcome to the unfiltered gentlemen and now here are greg scott and dan coming at you ice cold and unfiltered hey everybody welcome into the unfiltered gentlemen where no matter what your watch says it's always beer 30 i'm greg and it is just me today the other gentlemen are off on very important beer research assignments i want to thank you guys for listening for joining in and the good news is that you're in for a treat today I'm on a field trip today at Eagle Rock Brewery, the first production brewery in the city of Los Angeles to open for over 60 years, and I'm sitting down with head brewer, brewmaster, and all-around beer nerd extraordinaire, Eric Garcia. Eric, thanks for grabbing some beer and doing the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. A lot of fun. I was telling you, we are talking a little off there, and I was telling you, like, I've had a couple of Eagle Rock beers, and they were phenomenal, but I haven't had a lot. So I was like, you know, we need to get down there. We need to do some beer research, some very important beer research, so I'm glad we can make it work. Before we get too far into this, let me just tell people, Eagle Rock Brewery, you can get them at 3056 Roswell Street, technically in Los Angeles, if you don't know the layout of the land. The first brewery in L.A. in over 60 years, microbrewery? We started in 2009, and we were the first production brewery in Los Angeles city limits since Prohibition. That's crazy. Yeah, That's quite the uh, quite the title too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were uh, one of the first. The same year that Ladyface opened, same year as Strand, but within LA city limits, we were the you know the first. Right, and and since years. then, others have definitely popped up, and some have even sold to Big Beer. And yeah, I think there. I think we have at least like seventy five breweries now in. LA County. That's nuts. I mean, it's like half of San Diego, but it's still crazy. It's just insane <laughs> because I started drinking craft beer and was a home brewer before Eagle Rock Brewery started. And yeah. just to see the explosion of beer bars, let alone the explosion of breweries, like it was literally a wasteland before 2007, 2008. You know? Right. I mean, just, yeah, the idea of going to a bar where all they have is really good beer 10 years ago was foreign. Yeah, and even at that, like when you did go out to those bars that did have like craft beer, there was like the distinct tap handle list that right. like it was like every single place had the same portfolio. Yeah, but then there you had places like the Verdugo Bar, which were distinctly different. Like awesome to see that, you know. Yeah, and it's been a cool thing. I mean, now there's one in my neighborhood, and we just go and and every week there's different. You know, there's twenty taps, and almost every week is twenty different beers. As soon as they run out of one, you know, they never have two kegs of the same thing. And it's yeah, it's kind of cool to see happening. All right, let's talk a little Eagle Rock. Let's talk a little history. We mentioned the first production brewery in over 60 years, but we're in quite the little street here yeah. where, like, <laughs> as we were driving up to the place, we were looking around like, is this the right street? Did Google Maps lead me astray? Well, it's kind of funny, too, because, like, during the winter, you know, it gets dark early and mm-hmm. the street lights are not the best our signage has not been the best like we finally put that eagle rock brewery on the building right like two years ago and so you have a lot of times where people are like am i in the right place yeah. like i didn't even know and then you have people who are like trying to cut the light at san fernando and fletcher and oh yeah they cut through and they're like i didn't even realize there's a brewery here like I, they had no idea so yeah we got at, to the end of the street it was like is there oh thank god <laughs> there it is <laughs> 
Yeah, it's kind of like a little tucked away location. Yeah, yeah, especially with the walls. Like Google lady said, your location is, you know, you've arrived. It's on the right. We look at the right, like, no, no. It's like one building. You're like, what are you talking about? We finally one more building. There it is. Oh, thank God. <laughs> so, um, yes, yeah, so you guys opened in 2009, yeah. you said. Yeah, first production batch was Solidarity in November of 2009. The tap room itself, grand opening was in January. Okay, so we celebrate we celebrate the January grand opening as as our anniversary. Gotcha. And what did this building used to be? Do you know? Uh, it used to be a garment manufacturer. Oh, yeah. It's it looks a lot different than what it used to. I'm because sure because the entire tap room, all of that, did not exist. Right. So all of that had to be fabricated. Okay. So like these drop down ceilings did not. It wasn't here. We oh, had okay. to do that for public health reasons because the city didn't know how to treat us. Oh, yeah. I mean, first brewery, so. Yeah. They have a lot of hoops. <laughs> I, yeah. I would imagine. Would you say that there's a specialty that Eagle Rock focuses on when it comes to beer? Uh, we just try to make balanced beers. I like it. That's nice that's our, simple. That's our, our goal. Yeah. You know? We want you to be able to drink it and go, you know what? That's exactly that's balanced and i want another one <laughs> i always want another one um so all right since we're talking about beers tell us what we have here in front of us number one uh the beer we're drinking right now is amulf it's a german style pilsner mm-hmm. uh s- straight up wireman pills malt a little bit of acidulated for uh for mash ph adjustment hopping is german saphir okay and uh uses uh the 3470 uh dry lager yeast from uh Fermentous. I mean, it's easy to drink. This thing goes down real quick. Yeah, I'm really happy with this uh, this go around. We've been tinkering with different lager yeasts and you know just trying to get our process down because we haven't like we've done lagers in the past, but mm-hmm. to get the process down to where we're going to be doing like making this beer pretty much year round now, uh, it's going to replace uh, umla, which was more like a Kolsch. It was a, very much an experiment on how close we could get to a Pilsner without using, say, Pilsner malt or uh, lager yeast. Okay. And so wanted to, to make the real deal. So Yeah, this is nice. I mean, this is definitely like a uh, an all-day football Sunday beer. Oh, yeah. 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 It's about a 4.7 beer, 4.7. 4. Okay, yeah. yeah. Very easy drink. Very sessionable. Yeah. Very, uh, this could go great with some wings. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. It'll definitely about. quench the thirst of the wing eater. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, let's talk about your background. And we got more beers to get to. We'll talk about those in a little bit. Um, your background, you weren't originally a brewer by trade. No, no, You were no, more no. Of, a, of a Financial, nerd, financial analyst. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, did you work at big banks or? No, I, uh, I was working at uh, Princess Cruises. I did work for Mellon Bank like right out of college. And I was traveling from Santa Clarita out to downtown. Jeez. Uh, I realized that I did not like, granted, I got a lot of reading done on that Metrolink, <laughs> I bet. but uh, I realized I didn't want to, uh, sit on the train all day going back and forth for the commute. But yeah, I was doing just financial analysis, looking at costs, expenses, and, uh, doing forecasts, budgeting, all that, all that fun stuff. And I went to school, like originally when I went to UCSB, I, uh, started off, pursuing a degree in mechanical engineering okay. however i was not the most diligent of students and ucsb <laughs> is a good place to have it's a good it's a place to have a really good time right so they're known they're known well for their drinking program yes yeah yes and so you know i wasn't the most diligent student and uh i ended up getting a degree in business and economics but you know what things happen for a reason and yeah i eventually discovered home brewing and and that was like a nice release from the day job of sitting at a desk all day and i 
listen to a lot of the Brewing Network, like the Sunday session. Yeah. I like religiously was listening to that. <laughs> just got the bug and I decided I wanted to change careers. So when did you start homebrewing? I started homebrewing in 2006. Okay. So, you know, I was doing like partial mash and extract batches. Is this out of college or still in college? Oh, I graduated in 2004. Okay. So I uh, had the realization while sitting at Wolf Creek, the brew pub that's in, Los- <laughs> and, uh, in Santa Clara, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, Valencia. I saw the tanks behind the uh, bar. I was like, I bet I bet I can make this at home. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'd started reading up about it, like, you know, the Charlie Papazian book and that how to brew. And mm. then I started dabbling. And then I I would do a batch like here and there. But then just something clicked. And I was like, yeah, I think it was I, I had taken a trip to Europe, like my first trip to Europe. And there's something about the way that the Europeans live. And granted, it's you're in vacation land. So it's right. like... <laughs> <laughs> but it gave me a lot, a lot of time to like step back and like, you know what? I really, I really don't want to sit at a desk anymore. <laughs> so, Being on vacation will do that to you. Yeah. But I came back and I brewed a beer with a uh, kind of like a mentor. Uh, he was in the same homebrew club, and uh, it's like the first time I did like a real big like all grain brew. And okay. I was like, yep. Nope, this is this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. You know, I'm going to change careers and I'm going to pursue this. So. That's crazy. How many? Uh, I mean, you may not know an exact number, but how many bad batches of homebrew did you make starting off? You or know did what? you have any? I never had anything go funky. Like I, I, I guess uh, listening to the the Sunday session and and just getting all the education and reading yeah. reading like uh, how to brew, and I didn't really have any like terrible experiences that's good so it's like you know if you listen to listen and read it's like the focus is fermentation right like that was one of the things i took very seriously is like i want this thing to to be what it's supposed to be i took pretty big pains to make sure that that's what happened like right fermentation temperature control and i also at the time, I was working a job where I could afford to to spend a little bit of money on like you know used fridge sure. that I could ferment in and use a, a heat wrap blanket to on a temperature control. Right. So, um, it's nice when you have the right stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. you know sanitation and cleanliness is the number one priority. But yeah. then a very close second is temperature control mm-hmm. and you know being able to pitch the right amount of yeast. Learn that the hard way. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter if you have the greatest recipe, but if you can't ferment yeah it's you're not gonna have a good beer i made an apple juice ipa essentially it was okay yeah a lot of acid aldehyde yeah <laughs> it was great and I, I handed it to somebody he goes this isn't that bad you said it was horrible so what type of beer is it? i said well it's supposed to be an ipa he goes oh this is awful <laughs> thank you thank you yeah it's awful so now we're trying to choke it down before my next batch is ready yeah so you kind of mentioned it when you, your trip to europe sort of influenced you a little bit what was it that made you switch over to the uh, the good side from the dark side I don't know. I'm like, I'd always been into the beer, but I like, you know, really, again, just seeing how people live. Like, uh, there's a lot of focus on material, mm-hmm. material possessions uh, here. And granted, it's not like it doesn't exist everywhere. Right. But you just see people on the street and the relaxed nature with which you see them go about their day. You know, like the seriously, like the guy with the baguette. <laughs> <laughs> 
in, in Paris. Like we went right. to Paris and like you see people taking Stereotypes time out for to a do, reason. Yeah, taking time to do things like, oh, I'm going to stop and get my daily baguette. Like, right. It's, it's like the thing. Yeah, could you imagine doing that here? Like, what do you mean daily baguette? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it should be. It should be. A yeah, it's awesome. Again, I mean, it was like vacation land. You know, yeah. You, you just get into this different mindset. And that was the first time I'd ever gone to Europe. So it was like very, very eye-opening. You know, got to try a lot of good beer. And I just think the whole combination of not being happy with the old job, the experience of being in a different setting, like going completely out of my realm or my my world, right? you know, seeing something new. But then, you know, coming back with that open mindset, just brewing with somebody like and just like that, that it just clicked. The light switch uh, turned on. Yeah. You know? That's awesome. And we went to Oktoberfest. Like we were in the Hofbrau tent oh, for shit. the opening of Oktoberfest. That's the best. <laughs> was, I'm so jealous. It was pretty insane. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Let's, uh, let's move down to the next one we got here. So Populous is our West Coast IPA, seven percenter. It starts about 15 and a half Play-Doh, comes down to about two and a half Play-Doh. Okay. About 70 IBUs. The hopping in it, uh, we have uh, Chinook, Amarillo, Centennial, and Summit. And then in the uh, the dry hop, it's Amarillo, Centennial, Summit, and uh, Citra. Definitely get some citrus in there, some orange notes maybe. Yeah, definitely. Definitely some grapefruit. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan still of the traditional Pacific Northwest classic grapefruit and pine. Yeah. And- Citrus character. A little dankness in there. Yeah, a little bit of dankness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's nice. That's, you know, 70 IBUs, it doesn't drink like it's 70 IBUs. It goes down real nice and smooth. Yeah, that's a calculator. I think the actual tested IBUs is about 65. Okay. So, you know, you have a little bit of loss, but yeah. it's very smooth. It's yeah. a very smooth beer. And like I was saying before, balance. You yeah. Know, that's one of the things that we really are striving for here. It's really nice when you get a balanced one that might be 80, 90 IBUs. And nine or ten percent, but you drink it. It's like, hey, this just tastes like drinking a beer. Like it doesn't yeah. taste like yeah. you know a, a mission through space or something. Well, it shouldn't be a struggle to drink <laughs> your beer. I mean, <laughs> like why? Why would you want to do that to yourself? I, like it's I like know those guys is it a test of your yeah. fortitude and your manliness. Right. Like, I don't. I don't. <laughs> You're not a man if you can't put down two hundred IBUs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't see the point. That's why. That's that's the way we approach. It how we make beers. Yeah. And I very much appreciate that. And, you know, co-host Dan on the show is, is one of those hop heads that like, if it kicks him in the teeth, he's happy. It's a, it's a test of manliness. And his favorite beer is, I think it's 230 IBUs. It's a triple IPA. The calculated. Yeah. yeah calculated. The thing is you can't like if your, t- your taste buds, like the human. Who's like over 120. Ton, you or? can't, you can't sense over like a hundred. Yeah, exactly. And even like the resolution within, you know, that zero to a hundred, it's like, you really can't tell the difference between, like a change of like two or three. Sure. It has to be like five. Right. That's that's a resolution for us. Yeah. Uh, he wants to get kicked in the teeth. But um, <laughs> Speaking of uh, some beers and being balanced and everything, walk us through kind of a typical brew day for you. Well, uh, Andrew does, uh, Andrew, our full-time brewer, does most of the brewing. We'll switch off here and there. You know, whoever gets in at seven o'clock is typically doing cellar work, you know, transferring a beer. Uh, a lot of times we'll do like a, transfer and brew in the same day so it's like whoever's coming in at seven has to transfer the beer so that they can free up the tank that the beer that's getting brewed today is going into okay so it's free right so that's why we stagger it like that so makes sense cellar work really starts at seven so that's typically what i'm doing at seven o'clock like 
these days I'm currently doing that. Then uh, about nine o'clock, whoever's brewing comes in and then they can get their day started. Brew day on our very manual uh, system takes about six, seven hours to produce 15 barrels. That's our brew length, like our finished wort, depending on the beer. So like Manifesto or Belgian Wit, you have a lot better yield going into that fermenter than than like say Populist. Typically it's about six to seven hours to produce the wort uh, and then, you know, clean up clean up afterwards right. so we do a lot of multitasking we'll bounce back and forth you know things have to happen like harvesting yeast dry hopping a beer finding we use uh, biofine clear to find our beers mm-hmm. you know these are all processes that we need to kind of like multitask on right. and, and make sure they happen on top of that it's like you know as the brewmaster like i'm responsible for scheduling and recipe development and making sure that we have all of the ingredients that we need to conduct the brews and, you know, making like basically directing the ship. So it's, you know, kind of bouncing back and forth between either brewing or cellaring and all that administrative stuff. Okay. And then of course things break. (laughs) There's all the unsexy stuff about brewing too. Yeah. 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 People think that we uh, hang out and drink beer all day. That's not the case. Right. (laughs) We work and drink beer all day. (laughs) Um, you, we kind of talked about this off the air, but you were not the original brewer here. You, you started in 2011, right? Yeah. September, 2011. How did you kind of get into this role? How did that play out? Well, so I started with the brewery just kind of volunteering 2010, like my old day job kind of worked out to where I was able to come in and help out. I had reached out to Jeremy and, and, uh, about, uh, helping out because I had already registered for the American Brewers Guild, which is a school I went to, the okay. brewery school. Yeah. He was open to the possibility of me coming in and helping. And so, yeah, I was coming in every other week. Sometimes I'd help in the tap room on like a Friday or a Saturday. And then, yeah, so I started my schooling in beginning of 2011. And so it's like a six month program, stack of books, like probably like a foot and a half high. <laughs> and uh, after that was done, I went for my apprenticeship up in at Bridgeport, up in Portland. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was, uh, I really wanted to go up there. Well, one, I like Portland, but two, I had a cousin or I have a cousin that lives up there. So that it makes like, it easier. Made, made things pretty easy. I wanted to check out the city. They had everything that I was looking for as far as like a good internship experience. And so once I came back from that, I started working here at the brewery as a brewer. <laughs> About a month later, Pat, who is a former head brewery, is now co-owner of a brewery out on Staten Island, flagship brewery. Oh, heard uh, of them, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We did a collaboration beer with them two years ago. Okay. Yeah, it was two years ago. It was a uh, kind of like a mishmash East Coast, West Coast IPA. Because, nice. you know, there's all there's always been that debate, which one's better, right. East Coast IPA versus West Coast IPA. Yeah, so he moved to the east coast basically like a month after i started so okay. since, basically been steering the ship since since then you know got thrown right into it yeah i mean granted you know there was some transitionary you know jeremy was still directing a lot of things okay. jeremy's one of the owners but like the day-to-day like operations like transferring selling brewing all that stuff i was doing a lot of 12 hour 14 hour days yeah. <laughs> so was it easier coming in that way because uh, recipes were established and procedures were established or is it weird coming in under someone else's you know how they've done it for a while well a lot of the recipes when i first started were actually jeremy and steve uh steve is jeremy's dad they they're the co-owners like they had started the started the brewery you know they're homebrew collaborators okay and when i started a lot of the recipes were theirs but the recipes have changed so much over time like you know learning process and 
you know, there's a lot of things like even when I was going to to school, like for brewing, I was learning a lot of things already that I was helping to bring to the brewery, like process wise or sure. technique wise. So like from the beginning, I, I definitely had a hand in trying to like massage things <laughs> into what they are now. Uh, really getting our processes dialed in. Did they have any education or were they just home brewers that opened up a brewery? Jeremy did the Siebel program. Okay. You know, like the concise course. Outside of that, they're, they, you know, he used to work in music editing for okay. for film. It's very LA. Uh, and then Steve, he was working for electrician kind of like by trade. Like he was trained in that in the Navy. Yeah. So no, no formal, like they weren't working in breweries before they started. Right. They were home brewers with a dream. They made it happen. Which is awesome. Um, any of the recipes that are out in the tap room right now, any of them original from when the place opened? So manifesto, like, I mean, without any changes whatsoever. Well, I'm sure there's going to be little tweaks here and there. Yeah. Like, so the origi- the brewery started with uh, three beers. It was Solidarity, which was a black mild, 3.8% beer. Then there's manifesto and revolution. So manifesto is a, a Belgian wit, and then revolution is an extra pale ale. Okay. So two of those three beers we are not making on regular rotation now. That's just how the market has changed. Right. Manifesto is very much in spirit what it originally was, but again, you know, refining of processes and sure. I mean, you've got more equipment and better equipment than when you started with. So yeah, it's by nature, tra- it's going to change a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, in essence, it is very much the same beer. Okay. Uh, but then again, when we first started, that beer had two yeast in it. It was uh, oh, okay. Belgian Saison and a Belgian Wit strain. And so I don't know how familiar everybody is with Saison DuPont yeast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very finicky yeast. Sure. So consistency from batch to batch is very tricky. Like that yeast has a tendency to just like stop working at about eight <laughs> Play-Doh. It's like, nope. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna just, like hang out. Yeah, we're, we're not gonna do anything anymore. And so, would you have to repitch at that point, or? Well, so like we've done other saisons where we've kind of figured out the process. It's like, all right, you can pitch the saison yeast and yeah. you can let it go for a day or two and have the character. Like you're gonna get some of that saison character, but the important thing is to to pitch a secondary yeast. Okay. And that's going to that's what's going to finish off the fermentation. I mean, they do sell like if you look at Y yeast or White Labs, like mm-hmm. the two main like the biggest uh yeast producers right. or suppliers. They have blends, like a wit blends, like a uh, or uh saison blends rather. Okay. Where it's like, okay, you're pitching DuPont, but you're also pitching another like Trappist strain that's going to oh, help okay. finish out that fermentation. Keeps it going. Yeah, and this is before I even started. So Saison DuPont and Belgian Wit, then it became uh, the French Saison and the Belgian Wit. And then the, you know, the fermentation character, like the problem with a a Saison or a Wit strain is they're not going to settle out a solution in it. Like, and we can't filter Manifesto because it's a Wit beer. Right. Yeah. By nature. By nature, it's supposed to be hazy and you don't want that haze to be yeast. And so, you know, from a quality control standpoint, it's like. Well, maybe that's not even the best combination because, you know, we were getting some feedback that that's not, you know, there's a little bit too much yeast. We had some cases where, like, the French Saison will just eat and eat and eat. It's oh. very akin to, say, like, Britannomyces. Uh, and so wild yeast, uh, which they're able to ferment right. more complex uh, sugars. 
it's a bit very popular yeast strain because it will dry out any saison that you make. Okay. The thing is, if you're not careful, you can send out something into the market and we ended up having some over carbonated kegs and oh. other issues like stability issues. And so do you have any bottle bombs? We had, we did, <laughs> we did. Um, like, and so that was like the transition. Like when I first started, like some of that stuff was coming in. Right. One of the homebrew batches that I made, like shortly after I started was a, uh, Belgian pale ale. Okay. And the strain in that it's a very flocculent strain. So mm-hmm. it sells out a solution really nicely. Well, we were talking about, it's like, well, why don't we try doing a batch with that strain and just see how it turns out? Yeah. We haven't turned back. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so much more shelf-stable product. You know, we're very happy with the results. And like I was saying earlier, Manifesto is our second best-selling beer. Yeah, I feel like it's the one that if I see Eagle Rock at a, a you know a festival or something, I always see Manifesto. Yeah. So. Yeah. so, I mean, like in essence, like the grist, the hopping, the spices – uh, I mean, like, there's one change with the spices. Like, we drop the the rose petals. Like, we used to have okay, like, get rose petals and put that in the oh, wow. in the in the wort. But we've dropped that, and in essence, it's the same thing. Right. Like I was saying, it's just better processes. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. It's like we've gotten some great feedback at competitions, and from a market standpoint, people really dig it. Um, you know, we're actually going to sit down and just like really dissect it and like, all right. Let's do a taste test, a taste panel with other whip beers and just see, well, how does, how does Manifesto really fit into the market for whip beer? You know, okay. what, what, what can we do to make this better? And that's one of the big things like brewing really, you can't like, especially now the way that thing, like the way that the market is, mm-hmm. you can't rest on your laurels. You can't, you always have to be improving. Yeah. You, you can't be, be married to something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's exactly why solidarity is no longer a right. flagship beer. It's like, well, it just creates this other logistical hurdle to make that beer. And if it's not like we're trying to get steady tap handles with that beer, then it just makes it difficult to fit that into the brew schedule. It's like, is there something else that we could be making that it's going to move faster? You know, you kind of have to be adaptable and yeah. you just have to keep improving. I yeah. Mean, and there's it makes so many sense. good breweries out there. Right. I mean, even like uh, Firestone is starting to phase out Pale 31. Yeah. That was one of those classic, uh, classic beers. And it's like, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. I remember when, because uh, Pale 31 was a blend of DBA and uh, Mission Street Pale that they used to have at Trader Joe's. Right. <laughs> What what do we have up next? We have Manifesto. Okay. Perfect timing. Yeah. Let's talk about Manifesto. <laughs> it's a Belgian whip beer. So specs are 12.7 uh, original gravity. Uh, that's on the Play-Doh scale. Uh, finishes out about two Play-Doh. So it's about a 5.7% beer. In the kettle, or the grist is some two-row, some flaked oats, flaked wheat, some carafoam. A little bit of uh, acid malt for pH adjustment. And then Cascade and Willamette in a like, very light hand with mm-hmm. that. And then the spicing, orange peel, lemon peel, and coriander. So crushed okay. coriander. And the uh, yeast strain is 3655 Belgian shelled from Weiss. And it's a fantastic yeast. And, yeah. You know, all the haze you see in there is from the the grist mm-hmm. it's no there's no yeast <laughs> yeah you get a lot of the uh the citrus from the peel 
you definitely get a little bit of that uh, that banana note, but it's not overpoweringly banana like some can be. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, sometimes it's like if I wanted banana nut bread, I'd go get banana nut bread. <laughs> yeah, it's a whipped beer, so it's like it has like that really fluffy mouthfeel to mm-hmm. it. You know, that's a little the, creamy. Yeah, yeah, very creamy. Yeah, really good. This is the beer that we really want to work on. Try to. Put it, put it to the next level. Yeah. So it does pretty well for us up in the Bay Area. You know, down here, it's a little bit more, there's a lot more competition, you know, with the Avery's, the Allagash, and uh, some other bigger producers are now making whip beers. So it's trying to make it better so it stands better in the uh, marketplace. So it's interesting. So in NorCal, is it that they have a bigger market for whip beer or just less competition? I think it's less competition. Okay. You know, it's kind of like a niche thing. Yeah. You can get so many good hoppy beers in the Bay Area. Yeah. Like pale ales and IPAs. Like there's no shortage of them. You know, it's kind of what's worked out the best for us uh, with our distribution up there. Okay. So why do you think that craft beer is growing so rapidly? Well, I think it's uh, people are ready for a little bit of a change. Yeah. You know, it's, it, there's really been a push for people to go back to kind of like a way that things used to be like the artisanal thing. Yeah. Like farm to table, farm to table, uh, going to farmer's markets. Right. I think people are a little bit more conscious of what they're putting in their bodies. And Mm -hmm. like, if you're going to spend your money on something, then, you know, you want it to have some character or you want it to taste good. Yes. Granted, there's a time and place for every beer. So it's like, if it's I'm called just, beer pong, yeah, if I'm hanging out with some buddies, I'm not going to say, Oh no, no, no. You can take that PBR away. <laughs> I don't want it. Yeah. Beer pong with a double IPA might be a little rough. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Or even like the middle of summer in Los Angeles. And it's like, Hmm, this Russian Imperial stout. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I just picture Will Ferrell on an <laughs> yeah. anchorman's like milk was a bad choice. <laughs> so damn hot. <laughs> so, I think it's just a consciousness. Like if you look at the popularity of like, say places like Whole Foods, mm-hmm. or like Trader Joe's, yeah. um, I think people are caring a little bit more about what they're consuming. Yeah. You know, as far as like caring what they're putting into their body, if you're, even if you're kind of watching what you eat, you know, beer is calories. If you're going to put some calories in, why not make them taste a little better? Mm-hmm. You know, Budweiser is no less calories than a, than a tasty IPA. Yeah. Or, I mean, give or take, but yeah, you yeah, know, it's pretty, it's pretty close. <laughs> right. Right. So why not just have the taste, the tasty IPA instead? Or you can just go get some Miller uh, 64. There you and, go. Uh, <laughs> is it Miller or is that Michelob? I can't I it's, remember. I it's, it's Miller. Michelob. It's Michelob. It's all the same company now. <laughs> yeah. Like 60, one of them has like low calories and low carbs or something like that. Yeah. What's just, the point? Just remember, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> low calories and low carbs means low alcohol. So remember, it's going to take you three times as many anyways. Well, if like session beers, like, yeah, the reason you want to drink a session beer is like you can have like something that's flavorful and delicious and you can have a few of them in a session and not, not get, just get hammered. But if you're drinking Michelob or Miller Lite, you're not drinking it for the flavor. No, 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 no. You're drinking to get hammered. Yeah. You're drinking that to get hammered. Yeah. It's like, no, nah, I don't. <laughs> no, no What's the point? Yeah, th- those are like what I call Vegas beers. I only drink it when I'm in Vegas. <laughs> you know, you can't ask for a uh, whatever IPA when you're at the craps tables. True. Yeah, it's like what beer do you have? Like we have Bud Light and Miller Light. Like, all right. Well, I uh, I would I would always get the Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. <laughs> That's a good one. I like to pro tip for all the drinkers in Vegas. I like to hit up CVS and get like the big bottles of Sierra Nevada. 
and that's what I walk down the strip with. <laughs> um, all right. So speaking of growing, craft beer growing, it seems like Eagle Rock has been growing. I mean, I'm seeing you guys out in places more and more than I used to. I mean, in fact, if you'd asked me two years ago, I would have never heard of Eagle Rock Brewing, and I live 50 miles away. You know, not, yeah, not that far. Um, but it seems like you guys are are growing. What is you know what do you think is the key factor in that? So we just started distributing like self distributing a little bit more out in that area, Ventura what, County area. Yeah, the Ventura County area. The one thing we really haven't done is like we've kind of relied more on like uh, uh, word of mouth, Facebook, and mm-hmm. social media. Yeah, we really haven't put too much money into advertising. You know, it's a lot different than say like Budweiser, where right. Budweiser spends about half their budget on advertising right marketing billions of dollars dilly dilly <laughs> yeah <laughs> or was uh yeah exactly yeah. that stuff like that we've tried to really attack things or, or uh, approach it from a grassroots standpoint or mentality yeah and it's kind of more of a, a i don't know real fan base if yeah. you will because if you haven't paid for advertising and people are just coming here because their friends told them it's good and then they like it and and the trend continues then you know they actually like it and they're not just seeing commercials for the place you know we've gotten a lot of good feedback from the community we're in a growth growth phase right now yeah so we're trying to max out the capacity of our current brew house yeah we're we're looking forward to getting more beer out to people and is it hard to keep up with the demand or uh it's like a it's like an ebb and flow like you know during the course of the year it's like winter's kind of slow and then all of a sudden like it really starts to tick up in spring and it's like ah dang we gotta like really really push it here to to really uh keep up with everything yeah with uh populist sometimes it is it's like finding that right that sweet spot because the other thing is too you're talking about an ipa we want that ipa to be as fresh as possible when it gets to people so it's like the timing of that it's like we want to like kind of push it up to that threshold of like okay people are gonna get this the freshest possible right but not like overdo it and just like totally oversaturate brag about some of the medals that you guys have won (laughs) Pat yourself on the back, if you will. <laughs> uh, so I, we've actually won a couple gold medals at, at like, say, GABF or, mm-hmm. or uh, World Beer Cup. So we used to host the Doug King Memorial Competition. Okay. Uh, it's a competition held by the Maltose Falcons, oh, uh, yeah. the, one of the oldest homebrew clubs actually in the world. Mm-hmm. They're based out of uh, Woodland Hills. It's a uh, competition that focuses on, like, lagers and specialty beers. Okay. We started off, when the brewery started off, it was, okay, we're going to brew the winner's beer here at Eagle Rock Brewery. Red Velvet was the winner of the first year. It was 2010. Made a commercial batch and submitted it to GABF for the Pro-Am competition, and we actually won a gold for the Imperial Red Ale. Oh, wow. That is Red Velvet. That's cool. Yeah. The other major award that we won was from uh, the World Beer Cup two years ago okay. um, for Yearling. Uh, it's a Flanders red style beer. Yeah, it was pretty surreal. Like yeah. being in Philly and just like hanging out with our friends and like all of a sudden, oh my gosh. <laughs> did that did that really just happen? <laughs> they really call our name? Yeah, and getting to go up on stage and shake Charlie Papazian's hand That's was awesome. insane. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of uh did an interview with uh, Matt and Rachel down on Benchmark in San Diego and they won a, a gold medal GABF for I think it was Roadmill Stout. And they were up just way up, not even near the stage. And all of a sudden, they, you know, and the win- you know, gold medal goes too, and they benchmark brewing. And Matt, the head brewer, was like, yeah, whatever, whatever. And like, no, no, no. They said benchmark. And he said that afterwards, people were coming up to him and saying that they could hear this from throughout the entire place. He yells, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> he said the entire place could hear it. 
<laughs> and then his wife's like, shut up, shut up, shut up. Go down there. <laughs> he had to run down and like get his medal and stuff. So that's, that's really cool. You're not expecting to win. You, you pull out the gold medal. Yeah, it was pretty rad. You know, it was also pretty fun as we were uh, hanging out with the uh, Noble crew. Okay. That was the year that they won the uh, best small brewery of the year award. Oh, yeah. Just seeing their reaction, like the first time that they won, like when they won for Ghostbusters, or they got a silver for Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. and then the next one happened, and it's like, I turned to Jeremy, they're going to win Small Brewer of the Year award, like watch, like that's, that's and it happened, it was pretty, it's that's just, awesome. it's really cool to see your friends, like, do well, and right. to see, see the reaction on, on their, on their faces, like, to see, like, the, because we all we all work really hard, and it's like yeah. like we don't brew for medals, but it's also pretty cool to win something. It means you you're know? doing something good. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's like being recognized by a panel of judges right. that are very trained, like well trained. Yeah, like these luminaries in the brewing industry. If there's one thing I've learned doing interviews with all these different brewers, it's like they don't hate each other. It's very much like, hey, we're all in the cool club of beer, and we're all friends. Yeah, yeah, and that perfect segue right this is a uh, actually a collaboration beer that we did. as if i knew what i was doing i don't <laughs> there's a lot of camaraderie you yeah know? it's uh it, it's fun it's a fun you know and the, and the thing is is like i think it all stems from the fact that you know for the longest time like the industry as a whole it's small beer versus big beer right it's like small brewers unite you know together we'll succeed and you can see what's happening to the point where the big brewers are poaching small yeah. brewers. When they're starting to lose market share. Yeah. And, yeah. and they're trying, you know, to, to make sure they don't become irrelevant. Like they want to kind of put some brakes on the uh, right. on the situation. There's nothing better than like when I walk into my local grocery store and like the end cap will be, you know, a small brewery. It's like, that's awesome. Yeah. It's nice to not see a Budweiser product on the end there or something. Yeah. 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 That, that's really where the camaraderie comes from. And, you know, collaboration brews... I mean, it's very exemplary of that that ethos and that mindset. It's like when we get together with friends and you know get to go to their breweries, they come mm-hmm. to ours. It, like we're always talk, we're talking shop and just seeing how how we each do various processes and see how their breweries tick. Right. For the most part, people are very free and open with sharing what they do. It's fun. It's like if anything, it's like number one, giving away a recipe. Yeah. Yeah, you could go home and make it, but. It's not going to be the same. Right. Or even at that, another brewery trying to replicate it, it's not going to be the same. Yeah. Like everything is different. Like the water could be different. The hops that you're actually using, like the lots that you're using, mm-hmm. that's going to be different. Everything like fermenter geometry, right. how you oxygenate, sure all these cool. things. Yeah. I'm sure you've brewed clones as a home brewer. Yeah. But it doesn't taste like the original. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's still good, but it doesn't taste like the original. I'm very free and open with what we do here. Yeah. Um, like I have no problem sharing technique or process or recipes. It's you're going to be able to make a good beer, but it's not going to be the same beer. Right. Exactly. And t- honestly, to some extent, you could probably Google it anyways. So yeah, why not be cool about it and, and help yeah. people out? And, and that's just the nature of our industry. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of collaborations, okay. tell us about it. So this is Cool Keef. Cool Keef. So I don't know if anybody's familiar with the hip hop artist Cool Keith, but this is like a play on his name, but. Keef, this is a reference to the cryo hops that okay. are that are popular. So, yeah. in the weed world, uh, Keef is like the concentrated THC. Right. There's a product called uh, Lupulin N2 or Lupulin N2 from uh, Hop Union. Okay. It's basically like the Keef of the hop cone. 
Okay. So it's basically taking all the lupulin glands and, and like getting rid of all the vegetable matter. It comes in a powder. Oh, okay. And now it, like they like, you know, through trial and error, they're like, well, we have to pelletize this because from a actual process standpoint, it's kind of tough to get that to mix into a solution. If it's okay. powder. When we were doing a stimulus where we were just putting the coffee into the dry hop port through the dry hop port, you can see it. It's it's ground coffee and it just kind of hangs out sure. on the surface right. and so it's like you can't have to like poke it down with whatever <laughs> you're scooping it out with. Well, it's the same thing if you have powdered hops, you just float on top. Yeah, so you need some like some weight to it. So they decided to start pelletizing it. It's basically like traditional T90 uh, hop pellets, but it's a much more concentrated hop character. So okay. it's like you're getting all essential oils, lupulin. Like the alpha acids, so say like your typical mosaic or equinots, about like 11 or 12 uh, alpha. Okay. Well, the cryo will typically be about 23% oh, wow. percent alpha. Okay. You're just getting rid of all the vegetable matter. And so this is a collaboration that we did with Chapman Crafted Dover and Orange. And we had just really started tinkering around with the uh, cryo hops. I had this, uh, I was like really excited about it. I'm like, we had already been throwing some ideas around. And it just hit me. I was like, why don't we just do an all cryo IPA and just call it Cool Keef? <laughs> and that's how that actually happened. <laughs> and you know, it smells a little bit like weed. <laughs> Not going to lie there. Well, there was no weed in this beer. No. <laughs> Not yet. Yeah, but I'm, I'm really a big fan of the, of the cryo products. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. Like the intensity of hop character that is in there. And it's like, this is like literally there's no pellets, like no T90 pellets. It's all cryo hop pellets in okay. this beer. It was 11 pounds of Simcoe in the boil, mm-hmm. really late additions. And then we knocked out onto Equinox or Equinot cryo in the fermenter. And then we dry hopped with Simcoe and Mosaic in the uh, fermenter post-fermentation. The amount of character and... Just like it's so punchy. It's yeah. like it's very, very punchy. Real kind of dank and, and uh, piney up front, little little fruity on the end and the aftertaste. Yeah. But it's but it's also dry, so it finishes clean. Yeah. You know? so, and then the other thing is too, it's like when we were shooting around ideas like how big we want this beer to be, it's like let's shoot for something like in the six, six six and a half range. And so yeah. we ended up making a six percent beer. And it's a pretty easy drinking IPA that has a ton of hop character to yeah. it. Yeah. Exactly. And what are the, uh, what are the IBUs on it? Calculated, it was 40. Okay. Because like, it was originally intended to be a, like a hazy IPA. We used the juicy strain from Imperial Yeast. One of my concerns was, well, that yeast strain is not that flocculent. Because it's not as flocculent, you kind of want to dial down the IBUs because you can get yeast bite. Okay. So, you know, if you taste a beer that is like freshly fermenting or it's been dry hopped and like you taste it, it's like the bitterness that you've taste right then is going to be a lot different than once it's dropped bright. Right. So that was one of the things I was concerned about is like, well, if we're going to have that residual yeast, let's not hop it like intensely. Like it'll be much more mellow if we kind of drop the IBUs a little bit. Yeah. Makes sense. Speaking of hazy IPAs, I like to ask brewers on the West coast. What are their opinions on hazy IPAs? They're fine. I mean, we, I mean, we've dabbled, uh, this particular batch is much more bright than intended. What's funny is like we made a beer like right before like the haze craze really started. Right. This was our Christmas beer two years ago or three years ago, and it was all your oat. We were replacing Jubilee, which is an 
it's kind of like an antiquated kind of approach to the holiday beer where it's like this old ale that's spiced. Sure. You know, we wanted to make something that people were going to get excited for. And so we uh, decided, okay, let's do, let's do an IPA or double IPA for this. And then we were talking about it more. It's like, what do we not usually have here in Los Angeles during the winter? Well, a white Christmas. So let's make a white double IPA and use a whole bunch of dank, like, piney hops mm-hmm. to remind you of Christmas trees. And bam, I that's like how it. we came up with All Your Oat. We didn't market it as hazy. I mean, it was it was turbid. It was it was a hazy beer. Yeah. Granted, it's our house strain, which is also very flocculent. Okay. It was not a yeast-derived haziness. Uh, it was all the grist. And with that beer, like, we never marketed it as a hazy IPA because that was so new. Like, that, that hadn't exploded over here right. on the West Coast yet. So it was kind of funny to, like, see out in the marketplace where people were freaking out about hazy IPAs. Like, we, we just – we did one of those. Right. And it was like – we didn't we didn't think anything of it like it was it was a fun a fun beer, and so yeah we've made we've made that a couple more times like we did like a summer version of it okay. and then we did it again as a winter winter release again. Mm-hmm. You know the thing about it is like I'm what I'm more annoyed with is like don't get me wrong you could have a great hazy IPA sure. What I'm more annoyed with is that it's very much an Instagram related culture. Yeah. What annoys me is that people kind of lose sight of like there are also like all these really good beer styles out there and they they focus in on like this one beer trend. Right. You know, goes like fruited goes are like a big thing uh, right now, too. Granted, like if it's something that's going to get people into craft beer and maybe they'll go, you know, I'm kind of over this or this is good. But what else is there? If that happens, that's awesome. But if sure. it's kind of like, well, I'm doing the cool thing. And then, <laughs> jumping on know, the train. Yeah, jumping on the bandwagon. Uh, there was a, oh, Artifacts. Artifacts had a uh, great, one of the best names I've seen in a while. Uh, so Burlington, Vermont, it's like the New, New England hazy epicenter. Capital, yeah. Capital. They had a, a beer called Burlington uh, Bandwagon. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that Toronado a couple of weeks ago down in San Diego. That's good. I I was laughing so hard when I saw that. <laughs> That's a genius name. It's it's it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're just gonna keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, we may make a hazy IPA. It's not something that we've delved extensively into. Mm-hmm. Like we have made some. Like so for Session Fest, which is like a celebration of session beers that we hold every year uh, here at the brewery, did a you know, like a 10-gallon batch of a beer called Silly Rabbit. And I okay. came up with this idea, like, the preceding year, where it's, like, a white session IPA that has uh, some lime, some lemon, some orange, and all of this is in some, some galaxy and Amarillo in there. And the idea was trying to mimic the character of tricks. So, Silly Rabbit. Nice. So, it's not like I'm opposed to making right. those kind of beers. It, I I just hope that people will realize that there still are some amazing beer styles to be had. Yeah. Like there's amazing beers still out there. It's the education of the palate. You know? Yeah. And, and just because it's cloudy doesn't mean it's good. I've definitely had, you know, the hazy IPAs that it's like drinking orange juice with pulp in it. Yeah. And it's just, I don't want to chew my beer. Yeah. It's weird. It's super weird. <laughs> but anyways, I always like to ask brewers on the West coast what they think about that. Cause some are, you know, some are, oh, they're fine with it. Some are, uh, 
not so fine with it. It's, and it's hilarious when they're not. I have no problem with it. It's, it's just uh, the reality is that's the market that we're dealing with right now. Yeah. Things like Untapped and Beer Advocate. You even talked about Instagram with everybody's Instagramming their beer nowadays. How do you think the internet has changed beer? Knowledge. I mean, mm. just, just being able to research beers and whatnot. You know what sucks about uh, the whole Untapped thing? I don't have one. I, I like one of my friends back in 2007, whenever Beer Advocate actually started, mm-hmm. one of my friends, uh, good friends, actually got me a subscription for my birthday. Okay. So I've, I've, I've been, re- I had been reading like Beer Advocate for a, a, a bit. Yeah. And then like, it's kind of like Yelp. Like we want to compartmentalize or like rate things and it's human nature to it's judge. Human, yeah. Human nature to judge. I mean, like, unless something's like absolutely terrible, like right. what it does is like, you know, you might pass up someplace because somebody has like a, a bad review of it. It's like, yeah, they're not able to differentiate the fact that they don't like that style. Yeah. And that's the thing. Well made like, beer. You would see that on beer advocate, like on the comment section. It's like, well, this is not usually a style I like. Just approach it objectively. Yeah. Like, is it a good beer or is it not a good yeah, beer? Yeah. Was it well made? Was it well made? Yeah. You, you have that element creep in there. Yeah, just because you, doesn't, you don't like sours doesn't mean it's a one-star beer. Well, and the other thing is, too, like, everybody's an expert. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody's an expert on the internet. It's true. The thing about Untapped is that that's kind of uh, bothersome is that there's a lot of times when you go into a bar or you, like, if people are, like, looking at their phones and not engaging in the experience of hanging out with your friends, right. that's a problem. Yeah. You see that a lot. You're supposed to share a beer with friends, not share a beer with your phone. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And, it's, you know, people are trying to get that badge. You're right. Again, that might be cool for some, but yeah. that's not what I do. I do like it as an archive. I can go back and I can see, have I ever had this beer? What did I think of it? And I think that's really fun. You but- know, what's funny is that I, like, recently, like, within the last week, somebody's like, yeah, I don't think I've had that. And then, like, as they're drinking it, and they look back at their list, they're like, oh, I did have that. <laughs> I gave it two stars. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> I really like it now. Yeah, it, it, uh, so from an archival standpoint, yeah, yeah I guess it helps uh, correct for... <laughs> it is kind of fun as an archival thing. So, All right, so before we get to listener questions, uh, I have one last question for you, and then we're going to talk about this beer. My last question for you is what beer yours or otherwise do you miss yeah i would have to say from ours uh revolution <laughs> you know pale ale is a kind of a an interesting style out in the marketplace mm-hmm. you know easy drinking xpa and we've even had to like rebrand it try to figure out like how to best uh get it out there you know if it's not ipa yeah you know especially in these parts tough. yeah it's tough yeah revolution solidarity are definitely two of those that's my that's that, my final answer. That'll work. That'll work. <laughs> All right, before we get to these listener questions, what do we have in front of us now? This is Stimulus version two. We originally did Stimulus. So Stimulus is a coffee beer. Originally, it was a Belgian amber okay. with coffee. Uh, we collaborated with Intelligentsia Coffee. Like, we'd go over there. We'd do the cupping and do, like, do the full taste evaluation of okay. the coffee that's going to go into this beer. That's cool. Jeremy had the idea of, well, maybe we, we do something more like a stimulus project where it's not necessarily intelligentsia every single time, but we mix it up and we'll work with different roasters. And so this is a Russian Imperial Stout with Dark Matter coffee. Okay. Um, so Dark Matter is out of Chicago. The beans were actually aged in some barrels from a distillery called Few. 
Oh. Barrel-aged beans. Yeah, barrel-aged beans. Interesting. There's some hot brew in there, and there's also some cold brew. I was really excited for this beer. The base beer itself is essentially our anniversary beer from this past year. La okay. Suerte. La Suerte was an Mexican Imperial Stout, and... You know, we did a lot of spicing post-fermentation. Okay. And so we did some casks pre-spicing. And one of the best casks of that we had at the anniversary party was Suerte without the spices, but with coffee. Oh. The other one that was really awesome was the barrel-aged version. Um, I bet. But the coffee one was just insane. And it was like one of those ones where I was like walking around to people. I was like, you have to try this. <laughs> There's only five gallons of this thing. You have to try it. Um, go now. Yeah, yeah. Go. <laughs> if you want to live, like the coffee, like it's it's like a perfect match, and it's like kind of funny because you know when we first did stimulus, like we didn't want to do like the prototypical. It's like a stout or a porter with coffee, and so this beer just lent itself to this project. Yeah, you know, to to be the second iteration of stimulus. I'm really happy with how this turned out. Like it's, it's like amazing. tasting the beer before coffee and post coffee. It's like a remarkable difference. Like yeah. it, it's kind of interesting in the fact that like the coffee actually helped round things out and also like round the flavors out, but also brought in like, like accentuate like some of like this uh, vanilla character mm-hmm. that's in there. It just really amplified like the uh, bittersweet chocolate notes that are, that are in the beer. Yeah. I get a lot of coffee on the nose. Yeah. A lot of coffee on the nose. You kind of get that coffee stout up front, little uh, cocoa vanilla as it finishes mm-hmm. off. It's really nice. Yeah, it's a dangerous beer. Yeah. You, would you say 14%? Yeah. Yeah, that's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really happy with how it's turned out. Um, Lee had been the uh, point person, so Lee's one of my crew that's been here since the beginning. Does a graphic design and does, like, he actually heads up the barrel, the, like, the sour beer side of our operation. The dark matter guys had actually reached out and like through that uh, interaction, we were able to do this collaboration. So that's really fun. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. This is a nice, uh, nice dessert beer, kind of. Yeah, finish seriously. off the nice it uh, is. the night on. Yeah, really good. Um, okay, listener questions. Katie wants to know what was the first beer that you ever brewed at Eagle Rock? As in like my own, or as in production batch? Like, oh, this is what it is. Let's go with your own. Okay. Well, the production batch was Solidarity. Okay. <laughs> the first beer I did was Unionist, which was a Belgian pale ale. That, okay. was, that was the origin of the manifesto oh, cool. current yeast strain. Mike wants to know, what's your favorite style to brew? German Pilsner. <laughs> well, getting, and drink, yeah. <laughs> right. I'm getting that a lot lately. It's, it's fun. I mean, Pilsners are not the easiest style to make, so it's kind of... That's exactly the point. Yeah. It's like it, it is a true test of the brewer's technical skill yeah. and also artistic skill because mm-hmm. even if you have the best technical skills, you can still mess up a Pilsner. Yeah, it's true. Know? There is something to be said for tasting like pills and like lager beers fresh in mm-hmm. Europe versus having them here and having them travel on a boat. And <laughs> it's a lot different. Yeah. Travel by truck across country. Yeah. Uh, Steven wants to know, is there one beer or brewery that got you into craft beer? Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. That's a lot of people's answer. Yep. It was the first keg I bought when I was 21. Okay. <laughs> and that was an easy one to get, but still craft beer. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Some rapid fire questions for you. Uh-oh. Just the, the first thing that comes to mind. First beer you ever drank? Pacifico. First beer you ever brewed? Kind of like a nut brown ale. Cans or bottles? Cans. 
Favorite beer and food pairing? Ooh. Mussels and, you know, like a nice light Belgian style beer, Trappist beer. Okay. It's Tuesday night. What are you drinking? Tuesday night. German Pilsner. <laughs> I like it. What is your beercation destination? I really want to go back to England and explore a little bit more of their uh, traditional brewing styles. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite outside non-Eagle Rock beer? It's a tough one. It's so tough. It's like, like asking it's... your favorite Beatles song. Or well, whatever. exactly. Yeah. There's so much choice. Right. <laughs> I'm just trying to think about, like, in the last, like, three <laughs> months, what I've been buying at, this, at the store. Fresh, like, if fresh or of all. Okay. Like if like it's actually pretty cool that this has happened that, you know, you go to bottle shops now. Mm-hmm. Remember when I first had Orval bone dry, super bone dry, and like that Brett had already like consumed a lot of the sugar. Yeah. It's an ESB with Brett, essentially. Trying it in Belgium and trying it fresh, I was like, holy cow, <laughs> this is so different. And the cool thing is now, again, craft beer is big now so right. there's a lot more uh like quicker velocity of some of the beers i bought recently a bottle of orval that was like a month old mm-hmm. maybe like a month and a half old and it tasted just like it was in belgium and it was on point nice. like it had brett character but it had not yet turned to the dry side and finally favorite non-beer hobby backpacking hiking outdoors i dig it yeah Eric, thank you so much. Yeah. If you want to come check out Eric's work, Eagle Rock Brewery. Cheers, buddy. Thank you. Eagle Rock Brewery down here at 3056 Roswell Street in L.A. Uh, You can find them on the interwebs, eaglerockbrewery.com, as well as social medias, Eagle Rock Brewery. Have I forgotten anything? Drink good beer. Drink good beer. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks one more time to Eric and to Eagle Rock for letting me invade the brewery with all my equipment and sharing some amazing beer. As I mentioned in the interview, you can find them on a tiny little side street in Los Angeles at 3056 Roswell Street. Follow, like, and tweet with them at Eagle Rock Brew across the board on social media. Except for Facebook, it's Eagle Rock Brewery. Session Fest. Session Fest is coming up for them on Saturday, May 19th. That's 2018. This is where Eagle Rock Brewing and Eagle Rock Public House, which is their restaurant location, uh, the staff competes to make the best session beer. The brew house employees get teamed up with the tap room and pub staff to help create new beers. Not only is it a really cool day, but they also use it as a tool to teach the non-brew house staff about the brewing process. I'm looking forward to being there on the 19th. I love really good session beers and hope some of you will come out, say hi, and have a couple of tasty beverages with me. When you make it into Eagle Rock, whether it's Session Fest or just any other day, make sure to say hi to Eric and tell him how good his beer is and let him know you heard about him here on The Unfiltered Gentleman. I'll be posting pictures from the interview on our social media so you can find and follow us at The Unfiltered Gentleman, except for Twitter, at Unfiltered Gents. Make sure you tag us in all your beer pictures and hashtag show us your beers. The show's phone number is 805-538-BEER. That's 2337. Go ahead and drunk dial us. We want to hear your drunk voicemails. We hope to hear from you guys. Uh, We'll be back next week with a brand new batch of unfiltered audio. But in the meantime, make sure you're staying hydrated. And good night, everybody. Everybody.